Well, good evening. It certainly is my pleasure to be able to uh, be up here. Uh, I don't venture too far out of Down River too often. Uh, I live in Allen Park. My wife uh, is from Allen Park. She uh, went to Inner City growing up, and uh, so it's uh, it's always good to get up to this side of uh, of Detroit. The um, the opportunity I've had to serve at Inner City uh, over these last, I'm now in my 10th year, uh, have just been wonderful. And uh, being able to take some classes with your pastor uh, has been a pleasure as well. Uh, Jacob is uh, certainly a man committed to uh, the truth of the scriptures, and I'm sure you folks are very excited as well to have him lead uh, this, uh, this congregation here. Turn, if you would, this evening to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And I'd like to read just a few verses from here and then talk with us, uh, talk a little bit this evening uh, about some of the realities of what it is that we face in life. Um, Life is often contrary to expectation. You know, there are certain things that we expect to occur or to happen in life. And sometimes things don't always go that way. And so as believers, what is it that we can chalk this up to? Do we just say, well, that's the luck of the draw? Or do we say, well, you know, such is life? Or do we become um, antagonistic against God's work in our lives? How is it that we can respond to these things? Well, what uh, what Solomon does throughout the letter, really throughout this book of Ecclesiastes, is, is he is giving for us the proper response that we can have even in the midst of some of the frustrating things that we experience in life. And the main thing I want us to see this evening is that believers must learn what it means to trust and to fear God. Uh, you know, there are certain things that we, you know, experience in life, and some of them are that are contrary or frustrating. Uh, some of them are just kind of annoying things in life, things that we experience. For instance, uh, whenever you have a piece of toast and you put butter on it, if you drop it, how will it definitely land on the ground? It will land buttered side down. I mean, that's just the way it's going to. You can, you can, you can be assured that's what's going to happen. Uh, some of the other axioms, axioms in life that we experience is that the softness of the bread, I mean, this is deep theological truth right here. The softness of the bread is in direct inverse proportion to the hardness of the butter. Why is this true? You go to a restaurant and they bring out some bread and it looks so good. And then you go to get a, you know, a little piece of butter chip and it, 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 it could like break glass. It's so hard. It's just the way life works. It's just, some of the frustrating things we experience, uh, you know, on pay raises. All of us like to, at some point in time, get a raise in our pay. And I came across this axiom. The pay raise is just large enough to increase your taxes and just small enough to have no effect on your take-home pay. I mean, this is just true with a lot of frustrating things in life. But as, as you know, mundane or as non-important really as some of those things may be, Uh, Axioms in life that are frustrating or hurtful can include a number of different things. For instance, why is it that teenager 
girls get pregnant very easily, it seems. Yet there are loving, longing couples that cannot have children. I mean, this is, this is very frustrating. I mentioned that I, I oversee and teach the uh, young marrieds at Inner City and uh, have been doing so uh, for about the last uh, three and a half, almost four years, about three and a half years, I guess now. And there's a number of couples in that, in that class that have been married, some of them for um, in the upwards of ten years, uh, not so much young married anymore, uh, but have not been able to have children. And for some reason, this is what God has allowed for them. There's a number that have experienced a number of difficulties there. But when you look around and see that there are people who are able to have children, this is a frustrating thing. Why is this, why is this happening to us? I mean, we love God. We attend church. We do good stuff. Why is this the way it is? Why is it that unethical business people often make a fortune? I mean, it's not too often we hear about the Bernie Madoffs of the world who get caught and land in prison for Ponzi schemes and these sorts of things. My father has been in business since he was 21 years old and has countless stories of men uh, who have conducted business in an unethical way that uh, have millions and millions of dollars to their name. This doesn't seem right for us as God-fearing people to have to experience this in life. So how is it that we can react to these things? How is it that we should react as believers to these things in life? Is, uh, is there a suitable answer here in Ecclesiastes 7? Is there a suitable answer here for living a moderate life and just kind of living a little and not really worrying about it too much? You know, believers, As believers, we live in a society that is pressuring us to enjoy the pleasures of the world. Uh, Christian salesmen may be constantly pressured to act unethically in order to close a deal. And it's frustrating for believers when we try to please God and yet we... We suffer or deal with frustrating things. And why is it that we can observe people who have no regard for God or for the Scriptures seem to succeed? How is it that we should respond to these sorts of things? What's a believer to do? Is a believer to turn to a full-fledged, self-centered approach to life? Or should we live a bitter life against God because we're trying to live a holy life only to see any kind of blessing never really materialize? Let's take a look at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 15 through 18. And here I hope to uh, show us a few biblical principles this evening about how to deal with uh, the frustrating things and the fact, uh, the, the fact that life is often contrary to expectation. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, starting verse 15. I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. Do not be excessively righteous, and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Do not be excessively wicked, and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp one thing, and also not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. Now, all of us as believers have experienced some kind of frustration in life. We've all experienced some kind of setback or some kind of time where we expected a certain set of events to occur and they haven't. Solomon certainly recognized that there were many unfair things that were happening in his life. They were happening all around him. 
So he begins this discussion by expressing a frustration and a big contradiction that he experiences in his life. Verse 15 makes it very clear that what we experience in life is often contrary to expectation. What we experience in life is often contrary to expectation. Verse 15, I've seen everything during my life of futility. A righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. A wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. Now, Solomon was experiencing a conflict in his observation. He's giving a statement of that observation. And what he would expect to see, that is, what he would expect to observe in his life, was rooted in his understanding of the Mosaic Covenant, which very simply, um, there's a lot of different principles there. But what he would expect to see is that a person who is living a godly life would see blessing. We see this all throughout Deuteronomy uh, where the righteous person uh, sees blessing on his crops, uh, where he is praying for rain and, and, and he is seeing blessing in his life. This is what he would expect to be as the normal course of God working in the life of those who are followers or fearers of him. And yet he's observing something different. That is, a righteous man dying prematurely and a wicked man going on uh, and, and having his life extended. And of course, this is very frustrating to him. Solomon's pointing out some observations and he's noting that in spite of these things, the outcome is, is contrary to what he expects. The first thing is that bad things are happening to good people. First part of verse 15. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. Uh, this uh, righteous or just person is someone who is de- uh, considered or declared to be righteous before God. Of course, we understand that only God can declare someone to be righteous or just. And this is a, a person who has been uh, redeemed or has been bought back by God who is living righteously. You know, this is not some kind of an idea of a righteous person who's trying to live self-righteously dies in his self-righteousness. That's not the point of what Solomon's saying here uh, because of how he's contrasting those who are followers of God and those who are not followers of God. Rather, what he's saying is, uh, you know, society thinks and what we expect is that people who are following biblical principle should have uh, some kind of a life that demonstrates that they're followers of God and they would expect things to go well. But he's saying this is just not the case. Society in general thinks that when good people have bad things done to them, that this is not fair. And if we're going to be honest, that's what we think too. This is just not fair. One of the challenges for us is that we need to be cautious about how we define what is meant by fairness. Now, when we think of something as being fair, how do we normally view that perspective? We normally view it from from whose perspective? From our own. We view it from our own. Uh, you know, I have I have three children. Their ages are five, seven, uh, seven, five, and four. Yes, that sounds good. Seven, five. Why why is it that suddenly your memory goes gone when you're trying to remember these things? Worst question. Worst question to be asked as a father is what year were your children born? I know how old they are, usually, roughly, but sometimes I know their birthdays, but you're, sorry, that seems frustrating. You would expect a father who loves his children to know that, but no, we're brain dead sometimes. So, uh, 
you know, when it comes to observing things that are happening, we, we tend to think of it as fair. And my children often use this phrase. We just got back uh, for Thanksgiving for the holiday. We got back last night. We were out in New Jersey where, where I'm from originally. Please don't hold that against me. Uh, and I, we were visiting my family, and I was noticing that when we would give out snacks to our children as we're traveling, that they had to have the same amount as, as the other one got. Because if I didn't give them the same amount, then that would not be fair. Daddy, I also want this. Because they got more, and that's not fair. Now, part of that is because we tend to view things that happen to us when it is beneficial to us, then we view it as fair. And I think we need to have a correction in our thinking about what it means to be treated fairly versus unfairly. Someone who is convicted of a crime tends to view that they have been treated unfairly, even though they're actually guilty of it. So part of it is our perspective needs to change. Solomon was observing this contradiction. First, that bad things happen to good people. And then secondly, good things happen to bad people. It says in the middle, at the end of verse 15, a wicked man prolongs his life in his wickedness. Now, Deuteronomy 4 speaks of the judgment that will come upon wicked people. And this is really what would have been Solomon's thinking. Listen to Deuteronomy 4 and verse 40. Uh, It states this, So you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I'm giving you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you, that you may live long on the land which the Lord your God has given you for all time. So, there was a certain expectation that if I followed God's commands, I was going to have a long life. Solomon, who had the law of Moses, and as the king certainly understood this, but what he was observing was opposite of the things that were actually happening in his life. David also struggled with the same concept from Psalm 73, verse 2. For I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Even before Solomon wrote of his observations of the perceived wrong outcomes in life, his father David wrote of the same experiences, that he observed that there were people who seemed to be getting away with proverbial murder. And this was frustrating because he was trying to live a life that's pleasing to God, but the way that his life and the way that life circumstances ended up didn't, did, not, did not demonstrate that. I came across an article a little while ago, uh, in, from, actually from the Philadelphia Inquirer. In 1993, I came across this while reading uh, some historical stuff uh, really about the city. In 1993, a man by the name of Henry Cavanaugh was an ex-convict who was known for having a hair-trigger temper. He uh, was walking throughout the city of Philadelphia, and he mugged uh, an elderly woman in Philadelphia. He stole about $28 from her purse. To avoid being caught, he ran away and ducked inside a nearby camera store where, to his surprise, he was met by flashing lights, He was showered with confetti, and he was handed a check for $1 million. Why? Because he was the one millionth customer to have walked into the store at that very moment in time. And he was handed a million dollars. Now, since he didn't need to steal anymore, Kavanaugh moved into a swank apartment, took up photography. He became quite proficient at it. He took pictures of the poor. He took pictures of homeless. 
He became, according to one reviewer, a, quote, brilliant interpreter of the plight of the underclass. His photographs showed much empathy for their subject, and he was used in magazine campaigns for economic justice, and he became wealthy even through his efforts of becoming a photographer. Now, I don't know about you, but that frustrates me. I mean, seriously. Uh, you know, I take pictures. Okay, we have a camera. You know, I put stuff up on Facebook. You know, I've got, I, I, we, we have a, an account where we get pictures printed, you know, for scrapbooking stuff. My wife does scrapbooking. We've been into photo places, but I have never in my life heard of such an event actually taking place. And it happened to a thief right after he, he beats up an old lady and takes her money. This is wrong. This is not right. But yet, this is the world in which we find ourselves. So nothing is more frustrating than to observe these conditions in life. And certainly that's exactly what Solomon's saying is here. Is, is that we, what we experience in life is often contrary to our expectations. That bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. Secondly, we need to understand that these experiences should serve as a warning. Verses 16 and 17, we need to understand that the believer needs to recognize that these contrary experiences don't serve as a catalyst for us to dictate our behavior, but rather these observations serve as a stern warning. The first warning is don't think that by living righteously you will escape adversity. Verse 16, do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? What we're saying here is that Solomon is realizing that searching after wisdom and searching after righteousness is not the end of all things. Uh, Ecclesiastes 1, verses 13 through 18, increasing in wisdom, this too is chasing after wind. Uh, uh, he is warning uh, to make sure that you do not be shocked at what may actually happen in life. The reality is that living in a sin-cursed world often brings heartache in life. Not allowing yourself to be ruined or shocked because righteous living does not eliminate adversity. Now, we need to keep this in context with verse 15, with his frustration of understanding of, of, of what he is expecting in terms of divine justice. The point is not to be shocked or appalled that righteous living that is seeking to live a life that is pleasing to God may result in adverse circumstances. So the warning is this. Look, do not think that in order to avoid adverse or contrary circumstances in life. In order to avoid those things, I'm going to live a super righteous life because if I do that, then things are going to go great. Because he is saying, look, the pursuit of those things will only result in ruin. The proper motivation then for righteous living ought not to see blessing materialized in our own lives. I mean, the whole point of pursuing after the things that you want for yourself, Solomon makes extremely clear that seeking after these things, increasing in wisdom, increasing in this righteousness for the sake of just accumulating it for yourself only ruins your own life. Because the proper motivation should not be to try and gain wisdom or gain material blessing in our lives. The mentality is that if we think that we do more stuff for God, then God will bless me or I will avoid adversity. We need to recognize, though, that this pursuit 
results in despair and ultimately leaves us in bondage. I have a friend of mine who is a practicing Muslim. I don't know that I have ever met anyone who is in more bondage than him when it comes to religious practice because the idea of Islam is that the more that I practice my religion, the more this increases my favor with Allah so that five times a day they're praying Allah Akbar. Allah is great. The reason why they're doing that is so that they can be uh, increasing their spirituality so that they will be recognized as being godly people in the hopes of attaining something better in the life beyond. And it becomes ultimately this form of bondage in doing these things, resulting ultimately in despair. As I've talked with him, you know, he participates in Ramadan and all the various... Um, The, uh, the word I'm, I'm just drawing a blank on, um, where you don't eat uh, fasting. Thank you. All the different fasts in, uh, that are connected with different religious festivals and holidays throughout different times of the year, including Ramadan, of course, which is the month-long one uh, that we just came out of not long ago here uh, um, at the end of the summer. You know, all these different things, I ask them, what's, what's the ob- object of the, these things? And he says, well, these things are all in the hopes of avoiding judgment. Uh, But ultimately, he lives in fear. Fear of judgment. That's what motivates. What Solomon is saying here is that if we pursue righteousness to avoid adversity, we essentially live in the same selfish way that we are pursuing after these things to avoid adversity or to increase pleasure or to increase material gain. This becomes Joel Osteen theology. This becomes other prosperity, gospel-driven thinking. If I will do stuff, God wants to bless me and God wants to give me all these things, so I'll follow Jesus and I'll pursue it heartily. And what Psalm is saying, do not be shocked. Don't be ruined. Because pursuing those things for this reason is not the right move. This is a warning. Understanding these contrary experiences should serve as a warning to not pursue righteousness in the hopes of escaping adversity. Secondly, living wickedly, that is the opposite extreme, is certainly the foolish decision. Verse 17, Do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? So he's giving the opposite extreme here. And this, isn't this so true of how we live as Americans and how we live as human beings? You know, we tend to go from one extreme to the other. You know, I, I, uh, I, need to lose, I need to lose a little bit of weight, so I'll stop eating. That usually lasts for me about ten minutes, you know. Uh, we, 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 we don't come up with the right, uh, the right answers to things. Well, uh, you know, I need to... Uh, uh, you know, I need to be cautious about whatever. And we take it from one extreme to another. And he's saying, look, don't be frustrated by what you observe. Because if you try and pursue righteousness for the sake of avoiding uh, adversity, it's going to ruin your life. But do not go to the opposite extreme of living however you want like the wicked man does. Why is it? 
because he gives the warning at the end of verse 17, why should you die before your time? So stated simply, the warning is this. Do not turn to wicked living because God may judge you and it could lead to a premature death. I don't know how else to take that verse except as straightforwardly as what it says. Don't be excessively wicked. Don't be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Now, does this mean that there is a, a misunderstanding of the sovereignty of God? No, that's not the point here at all. But certainly there is a connection to those who pursue wicked living to pursue their own pleasure and having it result in a premature death. This is not a statement endorsing a moderate amount of evil. That is, you know, we have these two extremes here. Don't do this. Don't do this. So, you know, let's just find, let's just find the happy middle, middle here. Is that the point that Solomon's trying to make? No. Um, you know, the couple of different options of understanding these two different warnings is some trying to endorse this as the golden mean of Christian living. Don't be too righteous. Don't be too bad. Just find a happy middle and things will go okay. Is that really what Solomon's trying to say here? No, I don't think that is. A, a classic statement of the golden mean here, the middle of Christian living, states it this way. Since there's no correspondence between virtue and happiness and between vice and misery, man should avoid either extreme. Stated bluntly, don't be too holy and don't be too wicked. Sin to a moderate degree. I mean, is this really the point of what Solomon's trying to say? That you can just kind of do what you want as long as it's not too bad or too extreme to one side or the other? No. Uh, the major problem is that it doesn't have anything to do with the immediate context here of what, of what Solomon's trying to communicate. Solomon was struggling in his understanding of divine retribution. The golden mean is certainly not an appropriate solution. His observations were contradicting the law. Certainly what he was trying to do is understand how it was that he was to approach life. And so he comes up with the proper understanding and what we have for us is the biblical instruction. Living righteously does not mean that you will not experience more problems or frustrations in life. Certainly turning to a wicked lifestyle is not the solution as it may result in an untimely end, but rather here's the point that he is trying to say. The point that he's trying to make from verse 18 is that even though life's circumstances are often contrary to expectations, Believers must learn to fear God. Very simply stated. Believers must learn to fear God. It's good that you grasp one thing and not let go of the other. That is, have a clear understanding of both of these extreme positions. This is good. Understand the warnings here that are in place. That you not pursue righteous living for the sake of, adver of avoiding adversity, but don't live however you want because it can ruin you. Understand these two things. It's good that you grasp the one and hold on to the other, that you understand the differences between these two things. But rather, here is, that, here is the principle that you should understand. The one who fears God comes forth with both of them. That as they maintain this proper perspective on life, that it is not about me, it is about fearing God. First of all, the believer must understand the proper foundation of the proper... I'm sorry, must understand the foundation of the proper life principle. That is grasping these things. Having you know, this idea of grasp has both physical and intellectual meaning. The point here is to fully understand it in an intellectual sense. That is the reality that we are to fully comprehend that God is the one who is sovereign. He is the one who is working out all things. 
the providence of God, that is the normal working of God in life to carry out His plans for our lives is where our confidence should reside. Our confidence shouldn't be in our own activity of doing more stuff or of ignoring biblical principle and living as we ought. Or living as we want to, rather. It is a dependence and a trust in Him by obeying His commands. The proper motivation is that God, who is the sustainer of all things, is the one we ought to fear and worship reverently. So when a person gets mad at life's circumstances, when a person gets frustrated at the things that are happening in life, ultimately, who is it that he is getting mad with? He's getting mad with God. Because if God is the one who is sovereignly working all things out according to His will, according to His plan, when He gets frustrated with these things, He is essentially blaming God for how things are not working. Job uh, was someone in the Scriptures who is described as a God-fearer because he was a blameless and an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And here's a man who certainly had a significant understanding of fearing God and and, and, and this is what uh, we see of Job in difficult times. Job 4 and verse 6, Is not your fear of God your confidence? You know, when we recognize that there is uh, an understanding that God is the one who is working out all things according to His will, when God is working all things out according to His plan, and there is a fear of God, there is a trust there's an awe, there's an understanding, and there's ultimately, don't, don't misunderstand this, there's ultimately a comfort in one who fears God. You know, reading through Isaiah 40, when we begin to get a comprehension of the wonder and the magnitude of God, someone who holds all the waters in the palm of his hand, Someone who is greater than the expanse of the universe which we ourselves cannot fully comprehend. Someone who has this amazing ability to control and create all of what exists in our world today. He is the one who gives comfort. He is the one who gives strength. And what Psalm is saying is this is the one in whom we ought to put our trust. Part of the dilemma is that a lot of us have, a, have, have an improper view of God. We don't have a view of God or an understanding of God that views Him as good, as just, as holy, as righteous, and as one who is working all things out for His own glory and for our good. You know, I, uh, I grew up in, in uh, South Jersey, and uh, it's kind of a rural area. It's very different than North Jersey. North Jersey is very much like New York City. Uh, but I grew up in South Jersey which, with a lot of farmland. And we had, uh, uh, we had a couple of four-wheelers, uh, ATVs, in, in, uh, at our house. And we had uh, a lot of property around so we could go riding on. And oftentimes, to cross from one piece of farmland to another, we had to cross, we had to cross uh, some streets. We had to cross some streets, regular side streets. And we would always look, obviously, both ways before we would cross the street. Uh, but for some reason, uh, there was uh, some local policemen who were just waiting, just waiting. We were convinced to wait till we would try and cross the street and they would try and, and catch us. And they would threaten us that they were going to take away our four-wheelers. Well, you say this to a, a 14-year-old, you might as well, you know, cut off his arm. I mean, this, this, would have, this would have severely hurt us if we had 
uh, had our four-wheelers taken away from us. He was trying to threaten us, and it seemed like he was always trying to, to, to be out to get us. Well, we had a, a very bad view of cops. We did not view policemen as our friend. We did not think that they were there to help us. We, they, we thought they were there to ultimately destroy our fun. What is ironic about this whole uh, scenario of the way we grew up is that my oldest brother uh, is a state trooper in Pennsylvania today. So even though we had a bad view of cops then, it didn't ultimately destroy us to this day. Even though when he sees kids riding four-wheelers down the street, uh, he tends to be a little bit lenient with them because he remembers that same fear that he had and how he viewed cops as a kid. Now, why do I, why do I say all that? I had a view of policemen that they were, not, they were not there to protect and serve. Oh, sure, it said it on the car, but I wasn't buying it. They were there to ruin our fun. They weren't there to ensure my safety. Please, they were there to take away my four-wheeler. And sadly enough, sometimes we act like I did as a kid. We view God that he's out to get us, that he doesn't want us to have fun. And instead, we have a, a, a very poor view of our God who is sovereignly in control of all things. What Solomon is saying is that believers must have um, uh, an understanding of the foundation of the proper life principle. That is, understanding these two uh, tensions and how they weigh in each other. And that finally, uh, believers must fear God in order to have a proper focus on life. Fearing God is central to the believer's life. How is it? There is not a fear of condemnation. Uh, there is, there is a, a, a fear of broken fellowship. We know that we're not going to be judged, but there ought to be a fear of stepping outside of the love of God. There's a fear against uh, uh, about disobeying God, but ultimately there's a fear, even as Isaiah says, of a fear that draws us in and we are comforted and there is a delight in God. And this is what it means to fear God, to, to delight in Him, to want to be in communion and in fellowship with Him, one in which when we hear God's Word, we are drawn to it. You know, there are some things uh, from growing up that when I hear them or when I smell them, it draws me in. We, we grew up uh, going to the Jersey Shore, Ocean City, New Jersey. And the boardwalk is there. Um, it's, in fact, it's still one of the very few dry towns left in America. And a very family-friendly uh, place. And uh, my, my parents went there growing up. My parents' parents went there growing up. And my grandparents' parents actually had a place on Ocean City. So for a lot of generations in my family, we've been going there. And now over the last uh, five, six years, seven years, we've been making the trip out there all the way from Michigan uh, to take my family down there. We ride the same merry-go-rounds that my that, that I put my kids on the same merry-go-round that I rode on as a kid and that my parents rode on as a kid. And it's all very nostalgic and whatever. So we, we enjoy that time. But as soon as I go there, and as soon as I see things and I hear things, there's a certain drawing in that brings back great memories of my childhood. You know, you hear the sound of the, the, the annoying sound sometimes of the uh, carousel as the music plays. That you know, you, You've heard that same jingle, you know, however many bazillion times as it goes around and around. You know, you smell, there's a, there's a caramel popcorn place that's been there since who knows when, you know, that makes, uh, hand makes caramel popcorn there. And 
you always want to smell that as, as you as you walk by, and uh, you know the certain sights of certain frozen custard places that we would go by, and I mean, all these things are very drawing to great memories of my childhood. Sometimes our view of God is so distant because we are not drawn to Him and to His Word the way that we should be. There is no fear of God before our eyes. The person who fears God is someone who delights in that. They, they hear God's Word. They, they, they're reminded of biblical principle. And there is a comfort. There is a drawing in. And we recognize that even in the midst of frustratingly puzzling, annoying things that happen in life, I mean, we live in a sin-cursed world, and I think sometimes we've forgotten that. This is not heaven. <laughs> this, is not, this is not the kingdom. Uh, this is not a, a full recognition of, uh, of God wiping away every tear from our eye. Yet sometimes we have this bad view of God. All of us as individuals have some concept of fairness. You know, societal norms expect that when a person commits a crime, they get punished for it. When people do good Samaritan stuff, they get rewarded for it. They get a commendation. Solomon is giving practical instruction that we should be careful in the pursuits of righteousness and wisdom. It seems as if he's saying this, that uh, it's critical not to be motivated to live righteously in order to be prosperous. However, uh, this is not an, a statement to ignore the commands to be holy because a person who would do this it, it w- would conflict, of course, with what Scripture teaches. And, of course, it also may result in the premature ending of one's life. The closing of this passage, though, in verse 18, is critical for us that those who want to please God, if you learn to fear God, which is the important thing, you will come out right in both areas. God's sovereignty is in control of all matters for His people. And of course, He's going to accomplish His plan. At the end of the letter here, at the end of this book from Ecclesiastes, Solomon says this, the conclusion when all has been heard is this, fear God, keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act into judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. So there is a certain recognition that God, who is sovereignly in control of all things, is going to right every wrong. He is going to demonstrate that He is the one who is working out all things according to His plan. We may not see it now. We may not get the prosperity that we wish we could get now. But certainly, when it comes to the day of the Lord, and in the end, at the judgment seat of Christ, we will recognize that we will stand before our God, not as one who is going to be judged or condemned for sin but rather as ones who are giving account for our service to God, recognizing that we have no fear because there is a perfect love that has been placed in our hearts, resulting in a fear of our God who is working all things out according to His plan. May we learn to understand what it means to fear the Lord our God. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we are thankful for the opportunity we have to be able to study Your Word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize that even in the midst of the frustrating aspects of life's circumstances, that you would help us to trust you, help us to be thankful for the way that you are working these things out in our lives, that we might be effective servants for your name's sake. And we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.